Yes, people, welcome back to Process, a podcast with me, Brendan Pearson. So today's guest on the podcast is Callum Felt. So Callum is a strength and conditioning coach, originally from the same area as me, but he is now based around Preston. So he went to university there. And we talk a little bit about his journey through strength and conditioning, how he first got interested into it, and then kind of how it's progressed. We also talk about what makes a good strength conditioning coach, so what different aspects do you need to look into, not just in terms of knowledge, but also trying to get the athletes buy-in as well. We also discuss a bit about some aspects that young athletes especially should be focusing on from a young age, and then also in general, moving from the off-season, moving into pre-season, some things that athletes, especially in teen sports like football and rugby, should be focusing on to help them progress and go back into the season a lot fitter, a lot stronger, especially now that we're in lockdown. So it was a pleasure having Callum on the podcast. We had lots to talk about. We probably could have talked for another hour after it, but everyone would have probably got bored and clicked off by then. But anyway, if you do enjoy this episode, always remember to get subscribed, give us a little review. And if you really enjoyed it, share it on your Instagram story and tag myself and Callum in the story. So anyway, we'll get on with the episode. This is Process. Yes, people, welcome back to Process. Today, we're joined by another guest. We've got Callum Fell on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Hi, man. How are you doing? Hi, right, good, mate. So, just briefly intro yourself for anybody. I know a few people from around our area obviously know who you are, but for people who don't uh, know who you are, just briefly introduce yourself. Yeah, so like, uh, like you said there, mate, I'm obviously from the local area from where we live. Um, yeah. I've currently... Currently working as an S&C coach, um, mainly in the, in the rugby background. You know, I do some kind of consultancy for other sports. You know, people who become interested in getting a program, so to speak. Um, currently at Wigan Warriors Rugby League Club, working with the scholars there. Um, been there probably around a year now. It's been, you know, it's been a pretty good experience. Obviously, it came came to a bit of an abrupt end with um, what's gone on yeah. with COVID <laughs> and everything, which is which is quite sad, but. You know, I don't think it's necessarily important with, you know, people got worse things to worry about. Yeah. All right, so it'd be interesting because obviously I'm massive into my strength condition. Obviously, I didn't go down the route of university or anything, but I've always, even when I when I played sport, played football, I always had a big interest in it. So it'd be interesting to hear kind of how your interest first, like how you first got your interest into it, maybe back at school or stuff, did you play sport and then kind of how did it progress yeah. from there? Um, well, I think you just, hit the nail on the head there really I think you know like most people who get involved in SNC or even PT you know it often comes from having a sport and all like physical activity background so mm-hmm. with me I played rugby and football growing up you know I wasn't particularly great at them but when I came to finishing school it, it all kind of came to an end and you think well what should I do really so I think you kind of lean towards what's most accessible and, you know it just happened to be the gym at the time yeah um, but like actually Funny enough, actually, after I finished school, I actually worked in another school as like a business finance apprentice. Oh, um, right. It's like after leaving school, I was like, well, I don't particularly want to be behind the desk for 40 hours a week. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd thought about doing sport at college for a little while, and I kind of, you know, I ended up going to Newcastle College to do so. But since I had to tell the employee at the time I was, I was going to be leaving, they're actually pretty supportive, to be honest. Um, yeah. They told me I could just help out with teaching PE and get some kind of coaching under my belt. Um, which I think is always a, the most important thing to get started with, really. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like my actual, I would say my direct interest in SNC, 
it did come from during my time at college. I think you, you know you get exposed to uh, different kind of things. You get taught. Um, you kind of start to refine what you want to do. Uh, I remember sitting down at the time talking to a lecturer, Phil Thompson, saying, you know, what careers are there in sport? Because I think, which may sound like a, a quite a simple question to people who are looking from the outside, but it, it, it's not because there's so many different things, like different routes you can go down. Um, he went on to say, well, I know you love your training and you're not considered like strength and conditioning. And I was thinking, well, is that not just kind of like personal training? Um, he went went on about and gave me a few people to get in touch with to get some information and ever since then I haven't really looked back yeah I know it's like I don't really know too much about like the different types of training obviously there's the personal training side which you think once you be there's a lot of personal trainers that think once they're a personal trainer they're a strength conditioning course and this that and the other so there's so many different kind of avenues you can go down so you did college so what was what was it that you were studying at college just sport and exercise I think it was called yeah, uh, sport and exercise. Um, you know, it was, it was quite good. I think. I think the thing is with college, though, they kind of. I think they tried to cover too many different things, which you know, mm-hmm. to me, I didn't have a particular interest in certain aspects of it because I kind of knew what avenue I wanted to go down. Yeah. Um, I think. I think once you get to university, though, like because you can study like an exercise science degree, and it kind of just follows on really from like a, a sport um, course that you do at college. Uh, yeah. It doesn't really cover too many things in depth. It kind of touches on loads of different things. Um, but you often find people who do an exercise science undergrad, they tend to go on and do like an S&C master's because they want to end up specializing in something. Yeah. Um, but I think it just, it just depends what your kind of interests are, I suppose. Yeah, I think because like it is like you're on about in college and stuff, it is very general. There's so many different topics that you can that you do kind of cover I think it's probably a good thing in a way because then people can kind of look into each different topic they do and then they might hate some of them they might love some of them and then when it comes to university and progressing through education you can kind of just say all right I love this aspect of the mm. exercise science I can focus on that and then hopefully because you can specialize quite a lot in terms of masters they do kind of like split it down quite a bit don't they yeah there's, there's loads of different things you can go down I mean you know some people might want to go down the academic side of things you know some people might want to be a lecturer in, in the industry. Um, yeah. But, you know, you've got SNC, exercise science, you've got biomechanics, um, mm-hmm. physiology, you know, there's, there's a wealth of things you can actually study. Um, yeah. But I think ultimately, I think it's just, you've got to, you've got to paint a picture of what kind of job you see yourself in at the end. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, there's loads and loads of students who do degrees for no reason and they just uh-huh. don't end up following it, which I think, you know, it's quite a worrying thing, especially uh-huh. with, um, how saturated S&C and exercise science degrees are now. So many people uh, do them and so many people graduate. And, you know, I think we'll touch on it later, but it's the, the requirements going forward in terms of trying to get jobs is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's like, it's the same sort of thing. I think anything in fitness, the fitness industry completely is so saturated. Like even for me, personal training wise, it's so saturated. And obviously, mm. I think everybody, because of how big strength foundation is coming in sport, it's it looks kind of flashy and it looks like everybody will, everybody wants to do it kind of thing. So it is a it is a tough market to go in. So how did you find, you like kind of balancing university with say, trying to get a bit of experience outside of it? Like, did you do any... Um, what do you call it, like volunteering at local sports clubs or anything like that to get some experience? Yeah, um, I actually, like, looking back on it, because you, you can ask to have, like, um, 
kind of how many hours of voluntary work you've done like attached to your degree yeah and i've i've done absolutely loads like it actually started off in my first year when um you don't get given internship and volunteering opportunities in first year which was like really strange to me and a few other students yeah. Um, so, so what we set out to do was we actually set up like a, a strength and conditioning club at the union, used their facilities. Oh. Um, so kind of, so I would say it's kind of similar to how you build like a, a PT business, I suppose. You know, you gotta you gotta market, you gotta get people involved. Um, so what we did was we kind of offered opportunities to people who represented the union for their given sports and kind of, you know, created strength and conditioning programs for them. Yeah. Um, I think I think at our peak we had almost 40 athletes coming twice a week. So That's pretty just, good. Know, we've, got, we've got a lot of people on board with it. And it was, it was a bit of a shame, really, because it had to come to an end because I'd, I joined, um, or oh, helped set up, sorry, with people who were in a year above me at uni. So, like, as they graduated, it, you know, it just kind of fell apart because it was too much to kind of take on board and we couldn't really find anyone who wanted to step in and kind of help. Um, but it was, it was great. I mean... I think that's kind of the best thing you got to do is just create opportunities for yourself. If there's nothing there, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think too many people kind of want things handed to them on a plate, or they expect they're gonna kind of graduate the degree and think, well, my course is enough, so uh-huh. I don't need any experience. But like yeah. said, going back, going back, how many hours I accumulated? I think I think it's like around seven hundred like unpaid hours I've accumulated in, in the space of like two and a half years. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't like realize how much stuff that they do unpaid to actually get anywhere. Like, what's the first thing that in, like an employer asks you, like when you go to an interview? It's like, what experience have you had? If you've had no experience, you've got nothing like behind you, behind your back. Then you, you you're gonna have to either I don't know impress them in whatever way. I don't know how you, what you can do, but they're probably most likely not gonna employ it. They're gonna employ somebody who's got that experience. And like you said, if you've got seven hundred hours. First of all, unpaid, which shows your willingness that you actually love what you're doing. And you're in because seven hundred hours is a lot of hours. Yeah, it, it's it's quite it's quite sad when you think how how much would have I got paid there. It's like trying yeah. not to think about it too much. Yeah, no, don't get don't get think, down. I think you've got to think that you get you get paid with experience. I think um, how do I put it? It's, you, you you do need that experience without a doubt. I think you've got to you, you, there's no question about it. But I think. And I don't know why students get a bit almost like salty with the thought, well, I'm not working for free. Like, well, yeah. you don't get a job in the industry then. But uh-huh. like I say, especially with the way strength conditioning and exercise science um, jobs are going, you know, it, it's so saturated. Like, I think I told you yesterday, I went for an interview um, working with collegiate athletes and um, got through to like the final panel interviews, etc. But what it came down to was me not having enough experience you know yeah. as, a, you, as, a, as a graduate and you've got yeah and you've got 700 hours of experience behind you and it's still not enough and so. you think well how much how much more do i actually need um, yeah it, it, there's just so many different things that really go into it but like you said experience is the most important thing it's like anything you do um you know the, the actual qualifications that you get are only there for you to apply like uh-huh. they only what they only shortlist you because of the qualifications as you go in for the interview that's where it matters. You know, you've really got to shine with your personality and, you know, you've really got to get across what kind yeah. of values and your experiences that you've had. 
Yeah, that's why I think like, another thing that crazy as it is, like trust the process. That's why I need the podcast the way it is because mm. I think a lot of people would get bogged down if maybe they go to like the, the graduate and stuff and they think, right, I'm qualified, right, I'm going to get a job like, straight away sort of thing. And that I think people maybe underestimate how much experience you might need. Like for SNC coaches, the ones that I've worked with at like clubs and stuff, they are a little, not, not exactly old, but they have had to do like a few years maybe with like younger lads who maybe for example like football wise they might have to do a few years with like you can meet like with the younger age groups like even yeah. like five six and I know there's a coach there now who's been he's been there for quite a long time just working with the younger lads and he's just slowly built his way up each time so he's just getting a little bit more experience more experience and then what he'll get that opportunity eventually you've just got to put the time in like it might take five years to get to where you want to be it might take 15 um, it, it also obviously it also comes down to kind of contacts and stuff, which we'll, we'll discuss. We'll discuss a little bit about yeah. that um, as well. So, what are you what are you currently doing at the minute? Um, like I say, I, I'm I'm kind of enrolled onto the masters course at UConn doing transitioning. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of distance, uh, distance taught, so you don't really have too much to do, and it's over two years as opposed to one, so you don't get too much workload given to you. Um, but like I'm working with, like I say, Wigan Warriors. I go down there a couple of times a week when, you know, due to the circumstances, when there's no kind of COVID uh, flying around. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just working with the scholars, really, um, the under-15s and the under-16s. I know from listening to your previous podcast, I know you've had a few things to say about S&C when you were a scholar at Newcastle. Yeah. Um, which I, I just think, you know, it, it's so true, some of the stuff you were saying. Um, obviously, I can't really reflect upon too much experiences from football because I've not really worked in it too much I've only kind of um, gone to academies like for a one-off or for a couple of days so I haven't had like enough experience but from from rugby it's it's, it's totally different like um, I know from I can't remember which podcast I think it was is it Ross that you had on yeah Ross was my one I think he um, he mentioned um, when you did like weightlifting with like a dowel yeah uh, I know, I know, yeah, know, we used to do, we used to do that quite a bit. Yeah, I know a lot. I know a lot of uh, SNC coaches just hammer that into into their academies for like weeks, if not bloody months on end. And it's like just give them a barbell, like just let them try and figure it out for themselves. They need they need to develop that them fundamental skills where they're able to you know actually achieve something by themselves. You know, you, you've got to. I think too many SNC coaches tread on eggshells. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's not surprising, especially, especially within football, with how um, how much they value players. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's almost seen as like a business aspect of football, isn't it? You know, you've really got to protect the players over anything else. Yeah, that's why I I, I think a lot of coaches are scared. Like I I know I remember ones that I've had through the years. Some of them like were great, and then some of them were kind of the worst. Scared to kind of like give you. Give you a dumbbell heavier than I know. Mm-hmm. Actually, I said there was a thing at the Newcastle United Academy. So their dumbbells only go up to thirty kilograms, and the reason being that they said it only goes up to thirty kilograms is because by the time you can lift those weights, you should be out on loan. You should be playing for the first team. But like, <laughs> if you're seventeen, eighteen, and you're a strong lad, thirty kilogram like goblet squats is going to be or even dumbbells. Or some people can overhead press them at that age. Like that's ridiculous. It's just a, a little philosophy, but that, yeah. I have a 15 and 16-year-old lads at Wigan Warriors who can shoulder press 22 <laughs> kilo dumbbells. So I think uh, 
they'd put a few of the Newcastle lads to shame. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think I think rugby rugby lads S and C wise are just at a different level. So it's it is completely different. I think at a young age in rugby anyway, the kind of it's it's the kind of part of rugby lifting weights. I feel like it's in their men- mentality. Whereas football wise, yeah. a lot of football lads don't like lifting weights. I know even like provide pros who they're like. I've had a pro kid come to me before and say, um, "But I don't like lifting weights. Like I've never, I've never done it. Mm. So, and it's got me to this level. So why should I change? He just does a lot of bodyweight stuff, which I think is if you if it's, if it's worked for you in the past, fair enough. But yeah. I still think young lads shouldn't be scared of it. Like I think no, be- not not at all, not at all. Yeah. Um, nothing to worry about, like. <laughs> yeah, I know, especially with how like physical the game is and how. How like much the performance and stuff has improved over the years. I think a lot of young athletes should take advantage of being able to to lift weights and stuff. And then obviously, as long as it transfers over to the pitch, it's only going to benefit you in the long term. Uh, I, I oh, think absolutely, maybe. absolutely. Otherwise, there would be no um, there'd be no job for an S and C coach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So talking about like, we'll start with more younger lads. What are the kind of basic things that you would maybe start? In fact, how young do you think? Uh, you should start off with we'll say we'll say strength conditioning in general. Um, um, I'll get I'll give you the short answer. Um, there isn't there isn't a certain age. Um, to be honest, you know I think a lot of the the stigma that's thrown around with you know S and C kind of being detrimental to youth athletes is just a complete myth. Yeah. Um, I've had I've had parents come up to me countless times worrying about you know the common misconceptions. You know. The common one being he's gonna it's gonna stunt his growth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it's, it's it, really yeah. not. Um but in terms of like what academies kind of do now, so like more kind of really young adolescent ones, they really do put a, a time frame in for long term athletic development. So I know from when I did my um, undergrad dissertation, I actually went to Wigan Athletic to try to for it. Um yeah. I was with like the, it was between like the under nines and the under twelves, but they don't do S and C in in the sense of where, you know, it's you know it's like lifting weights all the time. Um, they actually do like multi skill sports. So a lot of the time dedicated to youth athletes now is focused around developing other skills, not just because you know they need to develop autonomy. So a lot of the times when you find athletes. You know, unfortunately, not being able to get a contract when they're like 16, 17, you know, it kind of gives them a skill that they can take away with themselves. Yeah. Um, so they're not they're not being kind of left to the side where they've put everything into football. They've developed, you know, a healthy lifestyle. They've developed, hopefully, an interest in in sport and fitness, and can kind of go on elsewhere. So, like yeah. I say, a lot of the time with academies now is spent on kind of to put it, it's probably like PE. You know, like yeah. doing stuff like throwing, catching, kind of gymnastic based stuff um running jumping you know it's 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 so important like i know a lot of the kind of literature looking at how good certain athletes are they're actually good at other sports and really good at other sports as well it's yeah. not just a coincidence you know we, there's countless um examples you can use obviously the most common one being like michael jordan like exceptional like loads of different sports yeah um you know we've got gary neville who obviously an amazing footballer played at the highest level but he was also a, a really good cricket player uh-huh. so you know all these all these athletes who compete at a high level aren't just good at their specific sport because there was there were studies being done looking at the actual the actual skills which 
these people in academies can do like when they get to the end of like their um when they get to the end of like their time at the club so say you're looking at a 16 year old footballer who's only done football for the past just say eight years within an academy obviously you'd think well everything's going to be specific to football they need to get better at football because that's their craft well in fact yeah it's quite worrying to look at the fact that these footballers who have been drilled into football you know when compared to um how someone should catch or throw or even i don't know jump at that age it's kind of um similar to like someone's ability at the age of like 10 or 11 so they just yeah. kind of haven't progressed in that time and you know people might argue well if i want to develop a footballer why is that important and it's it's not it's not just because of that it's because you know they need something to to take away they need to be able to perform at different sports you know it's some people won't get a career in sport unfortunately so they might want to you know put their interest into other hobbies yeah that's what we talked about the podcast i've done with ross we talked about that a little bit like because it's so focused heavily on football it kind of takes away from like we talked a little bit about business side as well but it takes away from other aspects of life and i think the the idea that you said there about doing different sports to kind of learn the learn the uh, movements and stuff i think it's great because what it makes it especially as a young lad makes it more enjoyable because in fact we used to play like handball and stuff sometimes when i was younger which was quite fun especially being a goalkeeper it was great so learning stuff like that and then also if you don't obviously make it you get 15 16 you can either transfer it and maybe try and play a different sport like we used to have a strength and conditioning coach who used to do badminton with the goalkeepers which i loved yeah and we only yeah, did it one or two times because he wasn't there for too long um but he was a great i can't remember his, his first name was chris i can't remember his last name but it was great i used to love it now i always used to enjoy badminton at school anyway so i was literally one of the people that used to always play different sports at school so it does mm-hmm. you can see how it transfers over and it's also a bit of fun rather than just either going you break from it yeah, and especially for the lads who don't maybe buy into the weightlifting and the lifting weight side of it, which a lot of footballers don't, I think putting that another another aspect into to make it a bit more fun, it'll help them buy into it. And then maybe if you do that with them and then just all right, I quite enjoy his coaching. Yeah. I might try he's he's talking about weightlifting. I might see what it's like just to just to see because obviously he knows what he's doing. I'm enjoying his sessions, I might just try it and just see how it goes. And then you can kind of Build what's it? I forgot what's the uh, what's the word? I went blank, but yeah, not buying from them. That buying, yeah, it's more than anything. So that's something I was going to touch on as well in terms of being an SNC coach. How important do you think having that personality and to be able to put it across to athletes rather than just having the knowledge? How important do you feel that is as a coach? I think it's the most important thing over anything yeah. else. Um, you know, you're not your, your program's useless if you can't get people to buy into it and if you can't coach them. So the actual program itself, you know, it might look fancy. You might have put it together. You know, it looks amazing. But if these players aren't willing to believe in your ideology, then you're pointless being there. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it, it's it's hard, especially going into um, new positions where obviously players aren't familiar with you. They might be familiar with other people. They might be familiar with other routines, which, you know, they might not be seen as great to an S&C coach, but those players might have put full belief into it and think that's right, what they're doing. So uh-huh. then they kind of get stuck thinking, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, but having, you know, you need to create that culture and create that high-performance environment as an S&C coach. Um, 
you know, you might have to you might have to make alterations to people um, to what they to what they going to do. So I know from working in um, semi professional rugby, a lot of the times these players, you know, they all work full time jobs. But then they've got to train three times a week on top of that, and then play a game on a Saturday. So you know, it's it's asking a lot from players. So you've got to meet them in between at times, yeah, uh, and then kind of just meet their needs. So you're still getting something out of it. But you need to just kind of think about the long-term aspect. You know, something doing something minor over a long period of time will add up massively, as opposed to just doing nothing with them. Yeah, hundred percent. I think when you're talking about the, especially the part-time side of it, if they're working full-time jobs and they're coming three days a week, do you want them to look forward to the sessions as well, rather than like battering them or just like it's just the sessions just being boring stuff? You've got to have that kind of fifty percent. Uh, well, maybe not that exact fifty percent, but have a little bit of kind of fun side of it, but also get the work done as well, which I think is a big thing. Like trying to make the sessions enjoyable as a coach. Yeah. And if if the players don't like you as a person and think, oh, it's just you will go off the train with this numpty again, kind of thing. Like you're not going to get anywhere. Like I think when teams are yeah. enjoying training and stuff like that, that's a big thing. Like the times that I think when I've played my best is when I've been enjoying stuff, and you you don't feel. As much pressure as well going into sessions. Like you, you probably know yourself going into a high pressure situation. You're stressing so much, and maybe you 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 have a higher chance of maybe not performing at your, at your best. Whereas if you go into something a lot more relaxed and a bit more enthusiastic, then that's when you perform as an athlete. That's what I always found anyway. Completely agree. You know, I, I think some S and C coaches kind of develop this ego where you know it's this is what we're doing. I've got, I'm disqualified, I can tell you what to do, blah, blah, blah. But there's, there shouldn't be a hierarchy to the situation, you know. Yeah. All coaches should be able to just have a general conversation with athletes. If, if a coach can't have a basic standard um, conversation with, with an athlete, then they shouldn't be in that position. Um, you know, if you've, you've got to develop those relationships and hopefully over time it kind of broadens and you're able to kind of do more of them. You know, yeah. some people you might not be able to. Some people might just be happy doing the bare minimal, but, you know, as controversial as this may sound, um, but strength and conditioning isn't the most important thing. Yeah. Um, what it comes down to, say say you have a footballer or any kind of athlete who's really, really good at their sport, but they don't train, how can you argue that? How can you actually sit yeah. there and say you need to do strength and conditioning because, you know, some players just don't need it. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the, the harsh reality. And I think I, I've experienced this, you know, that might be a tough pill to swallow at first because, you know, you're, you're my, like my, your passion's S&C, you live and breathe it, but some players just can't buy into it. Um, uh, and that's the fact, but it's, it's what the results on the pitch is what matters. Yeah. And last, last time I checked, I don't remember some kind of team sport athletes get tested and how much they can back squat on match day. So. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great to see, to be fair. I'd love to see some prime footballers do some back squats or like run around back deadlifts <laughs> and cleans and stuff, see what they can do. But uh, yeah, so talking about that, obviously a lot of, I know some, it's more the older pros that I've seen that maybe a bit more old too and they have really lifted weights before and they're just like, oh, well, I don't see the point of it. it there is yeah. obviously that side of it, but there's also the side of kind of overdoing it I know for myself when I was especially when I was injured I was always hammering up my body because it would always used to be knees like majority of the time it was my knees that I was injured with so mm -hmm. like spending that much time in the gym 
used to hammer the upper body. And it got to the point where, like, the, the coaches were kind of almost trying to stop me from doing the gym. And I know there was a lad uh, who I did a podcast with a few weeks ago as well. He actually got completely banned from doing the gym because he yeah, was... Yeah, I listened to that one. Yeah, so but he's <laughs> oh, he's a big lad. Like, now he's a he's a personal trainer. He's, he's passionate. He's a, I think he's doing CrossFit as well. So you can kind of see how it followed on. But what would you say to a few lads... It was like me. I always felt like I wanted to do as much as I could, but because I was always, it, well, first of all, when you when you're playing full time, it's quite hard to to train like legs like properly because I always felt like I couldn't yeah. do that properly. But I always wanted to do something, so I just felt like I had to. What would you say to lads who are kind of are in that mentality when they always want to do something and they end up getting to the point where they're maybe over overdoing it? Um, I think. I think a lot goes into it, really. I think if you, well, we'll take you for example. So, because you you played for Newcastle United, um, you know they're categorised as a Cat A club, I believe, because yeah. you know, they're a Premier League club. So you've got like a ton of minutes. You have to be actually playing football a week. So it's it's a bit difficult with I think with higher level clubs because the demand is so much greater. Plus, yeah. I think because it's like I say, it's the business aspect to it. A lot of a lot of the time, you just get refused because of the, the technical coaches or the head coaches because they, they tend to have the final say. Um, but if you are in a position where you are lucky enough to kind of do more, absolutely do it. I think too many times um, coaches go off what they feel when, in fact, a lot of the time, it, it's down to how the athlete feels. You've got to be yeah. able to you've got to be able to listen to them because they, they understand themselves a lot more than what any kind of monitoring tool will give you. Um, you know, some on some days players just feel absolutely knackered and they can't can't do any more training. So you've just got to alter it and just give them less. You know, yeah. It, 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 there's no kind of uh, one one approach fits all method to it. But if players are in that position where they feel like they need to do more, then absolutely do it. Absolutely do it. Yeah. One thing you briefly said there when players feel knackered, which I kind of felt like. I wish one I spoke up a bit more, but I also wish the coaches kind of realised this because I kind of I remember there was days where I'd be training like three three sessions a day, like I'd be training with my goalkeeper coach at like quarter past, so quarter to nine, used to do like half an hour, forty five minutes of goalkeeping stuff, bit of kicking and stuff, and then go back inside. Uh, we'll have a little meeting. I'll go back out, train at ten thirty with the team, just normal training. We'll be back out at like half one, two o'clock, and I just I just. I feel like there was a lot of variables that probably led to the reasons why I've had so many injuries kind of thing through the overtraining. Do you think, do you think young lads are, well, to be fair, you're probably more in control, obviously being the coach. Do you feel that young lads at an early age, especially when they leave school and go like almost full time into like the scholarship and stuff, do you feel that they are trained quite a lot and also the lads who maybe break down a little bit more, do you feel their training needs to be adapted a lot more than say the lads who maybe just are prone for prone to injuries like like some. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think because a lot of S and C coaches get in their mind because typically what happens is um, athletes who haven't had like a high training age can definitely do more. That yeah, that's a fact because um, they just they haven't responded to it yet. Um, so they can do in terms of volume. They could do more volume. They can do more intensity. But you know you can read any kind of like academic paper or literature and being an evidence-based practitioner, you've got to take into fact in, into account, sorry, um, you know, kind of your common sense. <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that's the point, is it? I yeah. think 
just just because a paper says it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work with the population or the or the group that you have. Um, so, yeah, training definitely has to be monitored for individuals. Um, I think what it comes down to is depending on how many coaches you have at a facility massively determines that. Um, so, I've always looked at it as this: um, if I don't have other coaches to work with, I'd kind of rather do one or two programs exceptionally well as opposed to kind of individualizing everything and kind of having it a bit of a mess because i know if i did one or two programs very well i wouldn't overdo it and i wouldn't underdo it i'd kind of just find a natural kind of sweet spot where i think would kind of meet the needs of everyone you know like i said like you said before some people might feel like they need more which is great so they could do more uh, some people might feel as though they need to do less so you just kind of you just drop it a bit more for them um, yeah i think I think more most of the time, um, like I said, I think SNC coaches just develop this ego where they think they're right when they're not. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know. Like I've had coaches where like they used to tell me not to do stuff, and I used to be like, I just like just let us just let us do my thing, sort of thing. But sometimes I, I do think I should have listened to them. But yeah, the thing that I was on about in terms of overtraining because I've well, I was always I always felt I was injury prone. But I always felt like. Especially as a goalkeeper, we always train the most. Like we're the first ones out, we're the last ones in. If there's like, say for example, the first team being an extra extra goalkeeper, we're lobbed in it sort of thing. I feel like, I, in a sense, I should have stood up for myself when I started feeling a little bit so and eight and stuff like that. But I think they do need to, the coaches need to notice it more. And whenever I see any of the young lads uh, who I used to play with, like especially goalkeeper lads who are a little bit taller and maybe the, the joints are slightly more prone to injury, like. I feel, I feel like the taller lads are in certain ways. I always say to them, look, if you feel like a day where you're a little bit sore and stuff like that, or you, you feel shattered kind of thing, just say it to a coach and hopefully they're able to kind of respect that you're coming up to them. If, if, if they're getting to the point where you're actually coming up to the coach and saying to them, I'm tired, I need a bit of a rest, then I think they should yeah. kind of kind of give you, give you that. Um, have you ever had that sort of situation when a lad came to you and said, "Oh, mate, I'm knackered. Can I can I have a break?" Or um, I don't. What I think about, I don't think anyone's actually came up to us and said that they're knackered. Um, yeah. The, the most common one I get all the time, and it actually really irritates, is when when they say the physio centres and I can't do anything. And it's like, oh, yeah. well, you can't. You, you can't. <laughs> you've, you've you've hurt your foot. You can do something. Yeah. And that really really grinds on us and I think I think physios are, are more protective over over players than anyone else um, but the, the thing is with like that industry if you're in a role as a physio SNC coach etc you know there's so much pressure put on you um, yeah. it, it's such a cutthroat industry um, I don't know if a lot of people know this but you actually get put on contracts so you'll get signed on for like a year contract and if you come to the end of it and you're not doing what they want or if you're not kind of fulfilling the needs then they just cut you after you've gone yeah um it, it's very it, it's not a pleasant place to work at times because there is everyone's kind of highly stressed i think because there's so much that needs to be done um but i think i think they shouldn't really think about that too much because like you say like i think some coaches get too protective over players when I think the majority of the time, if the player says they want to do more, if they want to do less, it's only going to benefit that player, which is going to reflect well on your work. So 
Uh-huh. You know, just you listen to your athletes more. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think like, we talked about buying. Like, if, the, if the athletes are buying into the coach, and I think the club or the team, whatever you're at, they're, they're going to have to extend your contract. It is like in football, isn't it? Like the contracts, the workings, coaching. Like you kind yeah. of build up to that point. And if, like I said, if the teams aren't buying into, in, buying into your your methodology or whatever it is, then you, you're probably not going to get kept on. So have the have the lads not on your sides, the main thing. I think. I think in sport in general, like it's same in man- as a manager, like football manager. If you don't have the players buying, then you're not going to get anything anything out of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you can have all these ideas, you can be this intelligent and that, but if you can't get it across to people, then it's absolutely worthless. Yeah, hundred percent. So, talk. We want to talk a little bit about more specific in terms of training and exercise specifically. Well, we'll talk team sports because you're obviously rugby background and football, so that they, they have a lot of kind of crossover in terms of the how the seasons work and how um, like the movements and stuff like that. Because it's a lot of change of direction and stuff. Obviously, it's slightly yeah. different. Uh, lads and rugby are a little bit, little, at least a little bit stronger. Some strong footballers out there, but not too, <laughs> not too many. But uh, well, first, talk about. Uh, exercises that you kind of feel like, I know some coaches have their, their kind of go-to exercises I know you can't really say it would take a one exercise fits all sort of thing but is there any sort of exercises yeah. uh, specifically rugby lads football lads that you would recommend um, focusing yeah. on? Um, I would definitely say exposing themselves to high speed running more frequently yeah. um, a lot of the times S&C coaches get into the mind because obviously you know, strength training and power training obviously increases um, or can increase um, how fast someone runs. But it's been shown plenty of times um, if they're just doing a running specific program in terms of high speed running acceleration, then the results are greater. And also yeah. players players are exposed to um, high speed running more frequently or less susceptible to injury. You know, hamstring yeah. being the most the most common one, obviously, within football. Um, and I think, you know, a skill like that is is worthwhile. Um, one thing that really annoys me, though, is how um, people argue doing certain things is worthless. So I'm a big believer in weightlifting being very, very well, uh, very good for performance in, in all sports, really. Yeah. Um, and I hate, I hate the argument people say it's a sport in itself, but running's a sport in itself. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you you wouldn't bat an eyelid at trying to improve your actual running technique because I know obviously it's it's used within the sport, football, rugby, but you know it takes you're not you're never going to be perfect at either of them. Get it? That's the best way to put it. You're never going to be perfect at either of them, but you can do everything you can to master them as much as you can. Yeah. Um, but like I say, I think kind of exposing yourself to more high speed running, change of directions, anything like that, um, plyometrics definitely. Um, I think kind of jumping between, no pun intended, um, like extensive and like intensive plyometrics, so kind of yeah. getting a whole scope of um, of different stimuluses from it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people kind of hammer stuff like box jumps and all that, which I'm just not a fan of. Um, I don't really think they're, they're worthwhile. I think because a lot of the times, you know, it, it's good to have something there to like kind of give you something to aim towards in terms of a height to jump but a lot of the times it just ends up being like a lumbar flexion exercise where yeah. you know they're not, they're not developing an actual landing mechanic as they jump onto it which is more important than actually how high you can jump because that's yeah. that's where people get injured that's where acl injuries occur to hamstring injuries occur 
Um, but I think I think there's more exercises I actually dislike than I did. Hate exercises, just hate them all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I judge a lot of coaches by kind of exercise prescription, which I know might sound sound a bit of a, um, a petty thing to do, but. I'm not a fan of a lot of stuff. I think you just got to keep it pretty basic. And if the, if there's a, a need for kind of challenging an athlete more than you can, there's different ways you can do that. I mean, I know um, a common kind of approach might be make it more unilateral based, which is a good way to go about it. But yeah. it just depends on like the, the stage at which you're at within within your program, to be honest. Because um, if, you, if you're looking to develop strength, so if you want to, exert as much force as possible uh, a single leg exercise isn't going to be the best choice you want to be able to produce as much force through stuff like back squats or kind of olympic weightlifting uh derivatives as well so it's it just it just depends but like i say I'm, I'm a massive believer in olympic weightlifting being extremely beneficial for performance yeah i was going to say i was going to ask you this question actually what's your opinion on in season uh like for, say football for example um Doing things like heavy back squats and stuff like that. Uh, I think it depends on. Uh, are we going to kind of discuss whether it's like professional football? Uh, well, we'll say we'll we'll say we'll do it for each scenario. So, say a young up and coming lad who's maybe just finished school, he's kind of 16, 17, just starting his like apprenticeship sort of thing, trying to push yeah. push through to the first team. Would you recommend it? Like, yeah, um, I think I think because especially within football, the, the actual um, schedule is very, very chaotic. You know, you've got often two, maybe even three games a week. Um, so that can make it quite challenging to try and fit stuff around it. But, you know, you can microdose strength training very well. You don't have to do like your common, what people think, like five sets of five, all that, yeah. all that bollocks, really. Um, uh-huh. I think the best way to go about it would just kind of microdose your training. So you could do like, maybe one or two sets of very heavy resistance. Um, so like back squats, like earlier in the week, if you don't have a game and then kind of taper off towards the end of the week and make sure you're getting fully recovered. So if I was working in a position, just say where there's one game a week, which often is in rugby, there's only there's quite rarely more than two games unless there's kind of obviously cup or tournament-based um, games. I would typically go for the approach where I would start the week off um, doing something more higher, like slightly higher volume. Um, I wouldn't say we'll go extremely high because th- there's no need for it in rugby. Um, you know, if you're really trying to develop a certain quality, the, obviously the outcome of doing higher volume training might be uh, hypertrophy. So you're trying to increase the cross-sectional size of the muscle, um, which hopefully entails being able to produce more force. But I think if you if you do that early in the week, you know, you're not going to be fatigued as much towards the end of the week when you're getting closer to the game. Um, yeah. So I know at Wigan, uh, we kind of do a, like a hypertrophy-based session on a on a Tuesday. Then we'll do a, a strength session on a Wednesday. And then on Friday, we'll do um, like a power or like a kind of tapered-off session. So it's it's not fatiguing. Um, yeah. It's not high volume. It's just very... Um, it's, it's basically mimicking the intensities that you, you get within a game. So you're kind of match ready so to speak yeah now obviously obviously the, the perfect scenario never occurs um like i was sitting there with you if you have multiple match days within a week you just have to be very very smart about it um i think a lot of the time now um research is starting to look at microdosing training 
So kind of just doing very, very minimal amounts, but you're still getting that stimulus, um, but without the fatigue, Yeah. which is, you know, it's, it's a very good approach to go about. It's very intelligent. Um, but also I think it, it depends on what you're looking to get out of the training and what kind of stage you're at. So we kind of follow a, like an, an undulating like program. So we'll do um, weekly undulating, like I say, we'll do hypertrophy strength and then some kind of power. But the only reason we kind of do that isn't to kind of work on certain qualities. It's because of how chaotic and concurrent the actual sport is. So, you know, we could do a, we could do a strength session on, on the, um, on the Wednesday, but we might go and hammer some kind of field-based training after it, which is just detrimental to it. So yeah. a lot of the gains you would have received from there, you've pretty much just pissed in the wind. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to, you've got to be very smart about it because doing kind of conditioning after your strength sessions, more so like your strength and power sessions, it's it's pointless really because you're just not going to get the the benefit from it. Yeah. Um, but the best way to go about it would be if you're going to like kind of periodize your gym based sessions, you'll have to definitely periodize your your your, your kind of pitch sessions too. Uh, I don't know really what it's like in football, but rugby is starting to get more in tune with it where they kind of do that. And a lot of the times the the um, technical coaches will ask S&C coaches what to do. So yeah, it, within American football, the S&C coaches actually overlooks everything. So they control what's happening with training. Like they'll tell you when you're doing, um, I don't know, say kind of skill-based sessions. So you might do stuff like... Um, I don't know, say football, you might do some kind of match play um, scenarios, but that'll be uh, conducted by the S&C coach or like set up by the S&C coach because they kind of get a whole scope of what's going to work best in terms of um, physio- uh, physiological demands. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it just depends. Like I hate, I hate saying it depends because it, it's such a, it is a buzzword that's used within S&C. Like it depends, but it really does depend. Um, I find it a bit concerning if someone gives someone like a definitive answer on what to do because it's never the case. Um, but yeah, uh, you just have to take everything with a pinch of salt and kind of just control things a bit and be able to have a plan in place. And if you need to make alterations, then just do it. You can't you can't stick to things if your if your program doesn't change over a certain period of time, then you, you're fucking successful. You do have to make changes to it constantly. Yeah, mate, it, loads of great points in there. So you talked about adapting and stuff. Like, that's the perfect thing. You, you've always got to be adaptable. Like, scenarios could happen. You can also, like, adapt into a session. You could have a set plus session out, and then you do a session, and then somebody gets injured or something. Like, you, you always have mm-hmm. to alter to anything. But the, the thing that you talked about in terms of micro-dosing your sessions over the week, they doing little little bits kind of thing. I've, that's something that's came, I've talked to a few coaches about, and they're kind of going down that route as well, rather than, yeah, like you're very much traditional. Like what I used to think when, like back when I was just starting kind of weightlifting and stuff, I felt like if I was doing a gym session, I had to hammer like for a leg session, I had to absolutely destroy my leg sort of thing, which is a, which is a big mistake. Which I think a lot of people, like young lads who do get in the gym, they do, they always do that. Like everybody starts in yeah. the gym, they do chest day, back day, that sort of <laughs> thing. Which it's absolutely. yeah, the more obviously experience and stuff like that, that you, the more that you do do it, you realise that's not the best way to go about it, especially as an athlete. Maybe if you're a bodybuilder, it, it, it you can go down that route. But yeah, because I used to. 
always think like, all oh, right, it's Tuesday. I've got a day off the next day. I literally used to just try and obliterate my legs, which and then yeah. which your legs just start recovering. Like even on like the Friday, Saturday, and I have a game on the Sunday or something or Saturday, my legs were still kind of sore, and that's why you do get those injuries. Um, so like you're being it, smart, it, it being gets, smart. It gets to the point of like diminishing returns, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think you you follow like uh, Mike Isertel, don't you? Mm-hmm. And yeah. he he obviously talks a lot about like. Uh, like max recoverable volumes and stuff like that and it's true you know you can do you can do too much volume and you're not going to benefit from it yeah. which is why you need to kind of find that sweet spot for certain people you know some people can handle more some people can't yeah i think personally when i train i can handle a bit more but that's not to say other people can um plus it depends what you've got on as well as like with a footballer obviously if you're running around all day you're going to be fatigued already yeah um, with me cause i don't i don't play sports so i'm that's probably why I'm more uh, able to do more. That's uh-huh. what it comes down to. Yeah, that's what I used to. Because you don't, I never used to take consideration the fact that I was training like like two or four hours a day as well, and then try to do a gym session. I used to just like look at some program on like bodybuilding.com or something back in the day. That's what I used to do. <laughs> I remember it was like shortcut the size. I think me and my mate were doing for a bit, but it was just so much volume. And then you go to do that session and you're waking up the next day absolutely shattered. You're sore and then the next day, the next day just carries on. Because I wasn't considering the fact that I was training beforehand and then my legs were already fatigued. So you probably just need almost like a little top-up kind of thing. And yeah. I think especially in, in, in season, it's all about maintaining if you can make any of those marginal gains. I think like, especially in terms of like lower body stuff in season, I think like anything you can improve on is almost a bonus. Um, I think, um, I think, like you say, there within season, it's definitely about just trying to maintain gains you've you've yeah. got from the preseason. Um, it obviously depends because if you are doing like an undulating based approach, which I would argue ninety percent of sport clubs do because of how chaotic the sport is, yeah. um, then you are you are going to get gains throughout the season easily. Um, I think it just depends on kind of measuring the loads that you're doing so i think with the strength based sessions we don't really go higher than 80 percent of like a one rm in season but we've kind of swayed more towards an rpe approach now um i think that's a great way to kind of get that feedback from players who can do more and or who can do less because you know with the things of rpe it takes into consideration like just how the feel like yeah. a, a, a one rm percentage doesn't do that yeah um also, you know, on the day of when you're doing a one RM, you've kind of peaked towards doing that. You don't just randomly do a one RM. So you've had sufficient training behind you the whole time. So when you come to do um, like one RM percentage based training, you know, there's plenty of times where you just you don't hit the numbers that you think you should be hitting. Um, and I think a lot of SNC coaches now are taking the RPE based approach because it's just it's, it's it, it makes more sense. It really does. Yeah. I know, hundred percent. We used to do um, what we used to do once or twice a week. I think it was, but we used to do like a little questionnaire in the morning, like an RPE score, like how you feel, how did you sleep, sort yeah. of thing. But then we also used to do, it was oh, I forgot the call now, but it was the jump testing, literally the kind of movement movement jumps, and I think they used yeah. that to kind of track your fatigue, fatigue as well yeah. throughout the week. So obviously, if you get a lower score, you obviously shows a little bit of sign of fatigue. So they were quite um, quite good in terms of doing that. But like I said, that way, it, it seemed to kind of come and go that we used to like, sometimes do it quite a bit and sometimes never used to do it. Um, so I wanted to briefly touch on like a, a typical, it's, you can't really see a typical in-season session. But in fact, we'll talk about off-season to start with. 
uh, because yeah. obviously that's what we're in currently at the minute. Um, so football, rugby, I, I think the, the rugby season will be the similar to football. Like obviously, I know it's completely cancelled at the minute, but when are they set to start in terms of rugby? Um, I think well, they are pretty much identical. Um, yeah. Based on like my time at, when I worked at Press and Grasshoppers, where I had more control over the actual SNC program, um, I think we start. I think we had like pre-season games in like mid-August, and then it kind of starts around end of August, start of September, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, so it probably is pretty identical. Um, yeah. I think. I think in terms of what you actually do with them, you know, you you shouldn't aim to train the sport. You should aim to train the actual principles that you're doing. So I think. Too, like you said, too many people get caught up in trying to make things far too specific to the actual sport, which a lot of the time is just so de- detrimental. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, so just so, what would you do in terms of? Well, from the sounds of it, rugby looks like it's probably going to start at the same time as football. Because I think football the next season is probably not going to actually like start properly until September anyway. So it'll work quite well. Uh, so for an athlete now who's got maybe a few months to prepare for pre-season. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you recommend like for now and then kind of build it up more and closer and closer towards the season? Um, I, I would definitely say if you if you haven't got any other kind of um, commitments in terms of um, like physical activity, then you could probably do a more kind of traditional linear approach where you're able to kind of slowly increase the volume over time. Because yeah. um, with that, you, you're going to slowly adapt to it a bit better. Uh, I think... It, you could still do like an undulating approach, but I think because you've got so much time on your hands, I would definitely just say slowly increase um, the intensities and have like deloads throughout the period. Um, but say we'll take a like a footballer for example, I would definitely aim to work on uh, like say high high intensity running. Um, really think about trying to improve acceleration, deceleration, and like max velocity. Um, really work on your running technique, expose yourself to all these different kind of running demands. Um, and also the thing is with running and like change direction, not <clears throat> not enough um, recovery is often given. A, a good kind of frame of mind to go about it is if you are doing an acceleration-based session, have around a minute per 10 meters you've ran, like a sprinted, like full intent. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, you know, you're just not getting the recovery needed. And I think... SNC coaches fall fall under that category where they just feel like you know it's a bit of an awkward wait for like say say you do like a thirty minute sprint that's a long three minutes you've got to keep lads kind of yeah. um, on board still um, yeah. I think too many lads get a bit distracted which you know it's gonna happen but you, you've just got to find ways to kind yeah. of avoid that but like I say really really invest time into improving skills on the field like do do loads of different kind of plyometrics really and think about Keeping ground contact times really, really short when you're doing them. Um, a good, um, a good thing to start off with. I'll try and find the name of it, but there's a good kind of plyometric continuum you can follow. Uh, there's a guy on YouTube who's a really, really good SNC coach. He's called, I think, he's called Lachlan Wilmot. Right. He he kind of put together a really good continuum of how to progress through plyometrics. Because um, a lot of the time, I think people just think, well. I'm just going to start jumping and go absolutely ham. When yeah. they, it's just not the case. You know, the most important thing when doing plyometrics is being able to land. You know, if you're not able to withstand the eccentric forces associated with it, then that's just going to be so detrimental in the long run. Um, so I definitely think about kind of improving your landing mechanics. Think about kind of 
um, just starting off by absorbing force, think about trying to land single leg. Um, I don't know if you know what like snap downs are for absorbing force, that's a kind of good way to start about it. Uh, start on your toes, really drive everything into the floor um, and then kind of progress from that. Yeah. Um, I think I think I see so many so many lads who just aren't coordinated with uh, with plyometrics and it's it's worrying really because they're probably one of the most beneficial things you can do in terms of improving performance. Like it, it carries over into so many things. Um but in terms of like gym based stuff, um if it was me and I was doing I had all this time, I'd probably just like I say do like a linear approach to stuff maybe. Um yeah. if if you feel like if you feel like you need to kind of put some size on, definitely dedicate time to trying to do hypertrophy based training. Um, but at the same time, you know, you could do strength training and you still get hypertrophy gains from it. So yeah. it's a lot of the time people think they have to do a certain training aspect to get the actual um, benefit from, which isn't the case. It just really does depend on how long you've been trained for or how long you've been training properly for, should I say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really think about trying to increase force production too. So really hammer some strength training, like proper strength training. Um, you'll be able to handle more volume if you haven't got um, other commitments on at the time. Uh, so you could do like higher sets and higher kind of loads. Um, but yeah, just try and think what you need to do more than anything and then kind of analyze it from there. Yeah. Uh, I think I think most... Um, I would say most football players in particular should really consider focusing on strength training and as well as like kind of power training because uh, that will benefit you massively. But if you do, if you are in a position where you are lucky to have an S&C coach, just ask them. You know, I think a lot of the time S&C coaches uh, are good people with good intent. And like you say, if, if they are in that position where they will give you more, if they will give you less, just kind of just see what they say. You know, just pick the brains, really get an idea of what kind of person they're like. If you don't feel comfortable with their kind of approach, then maybe just take a step back and just try for yourself. You know, you've got okay. all this time on your hands. You're not, uh, footballers and like other athletes are smart enough not to do anything stupid to get them injured, which yeah. is often the, thought to be the other way around. Okay. So just don't worry about it. Just kind of enjoy it. If you like doing a certain style of training, just do it. Um, yeah. You haven't got other commitments, so it's not too bad. Yeah. But see, the last point that you just made there, like, if you if you enjoy a certain type of training, do something, because it's better than doing nothing kind of thing. Like, you'd much rather go in and just lift some weights from, I don't know, even if it is bodybuilding style. Like, I think lifting weights in general can, like, have some carryover, especially if you're a lad who is maybe, well, a little bit, like, skinnier or, like, it doesn't have the size maybe compared to other, other athletes. And then you look at the modern-day footballer, never mind rugby player, like, a lot of them are a little bit more built. Like if you look at the legs as well, like big yeah. quads, big hammies, big glutes. Like you can, that's what that, that's what the top athletes have got. They might not be jacked like upper body wise, but if you look at Jack Grealish, he's a good example. Like he's really, mm-hmm. really skinny. Like, I'd say really skinny. He's probably got a little bit of muscle upper body wise. But if you look at his quads and glutes and hamstrings, like he's obviously he, he might actually. I'd be interested in all his training, but I know a lot of athletes who don't actually lift weights yet. They've got this like. This frame, this like lower body like stature, like quad scoots and hamstrings, obviously from just like high intensity running and plyometric based training, like that's yeah. that like it, it just goes to show how important it, it can be. Um, I think I think um, especially with say football, you know, 
upper body strength doesn't really matter, to be perfectly yeah. honest. I know people will say, oh, you've got to, you've got to shrug the player off. It doesn't work like that. You know, yeah. a lot of, all the force you produce comes from the ground up. So, uh-huh. that, you know, these footballers who, you know, they might have seen as an overdeveloped lower body in proportion to their upper body. But that's because they're being trained to be a footballer. They're not being trained to be a bodybuilder. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a pageant sport, football. It's, it's a performance sport. Uh-huh. So they need to be able to maximize, you know, the muscles and joints associated with the movements needed for the game. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was saying, I always found as well when I came up against like I try to think of examples off the top of my head. Uh, Adam Armstrong, he was a good one. So even when like, I played with Adam all the way through the age groups, uh, and when we used to do like I used to obviously drive up joining the outfield drills. He's quite small, small centre of gravity, but his legs are like were always quite strong. He was never really like the biggest yeah. upper body wise, but coming against up against me like he used to just knock me off the ball straight away and I feel football strength <laughs> like literally I felt I literally just felt like I was just going to crumble to the ground but I was always but I was never really big until I kind of started lifting uh lifting weights but even then like I was big up and body wise and legs not so much and I should have really done it the other way around so it would have benefited me a lot more and then you can see the likes of like Jamie Vardy like football strength is like upper body strength is completely different to like weightlifting strength like being able to Oh yeah! All, all the strength comes from your legs, being able to hold your ground. Obviously, a lot of core is involved as well. But like holding a, holding someone off the ball, it's not really upper body. It's not as if you're bench pressing someone off like off you. Right? You can't. You probably get like a yellow card or something like that. So <laughs> there is. You, know, you can you can do it and see what happens. Maybe at non-league, maybe not professionally, but it's like like we both said, it's a completely different different type of strength. So like when I when I sorry when I played um yeah. when I played football and like I'm I'm a pretty strong person and like you think well how is this person actually holding the ball off me now um but like it's it just comes down to like you know more it's more to do with the technical aspect of the sport like people have got to really um acquire the skill that makes them a good footballer like we yeah. said before um you know you could you could be an absolute stud athlete in the gym but if if you're unable to kind of perform on the pitch, it means nothing. I think, uh, you know, some players most definitely um, maybe rely on their physical attributes quite a lot. So you could look at a player like Adama Traore. Yeah. He definitely, or in the past, has relied on his physical um, ability. But I think, you know, some players just take a bit longer to acquire the, the actual football skill, um, which is, you know, that's what ultimately makes players the best they are. You can look at, like, players in the Premier League, David Silva. He, he's not a physical specimen. He doesn't have... Um, seem to be like an, a physical presence on the pitch, but he's probably the best, arguably the best midfielder that the Premier League's ever seen. You know, yeah. it, it, I think it, the old stigma of being physical is slowly being um, dismissed, really, because it's you know it, it's not what makes footballers great. Yeah. Um, but even if you look back to the days where they used to say football is more physical, players weren't actually physically imposing. I think it's more to do with the style of play than anything else. Um, you know, since obviously Guardiola came to the Premier League, there's been a massive transition to how football's played in the Premier League. So a lot of it is highly based on like a press kind of system or, you know, kind of a passing kind of play. Uh, so if you've got players who are able to kind of fit into that mould or that system, then that's what matters. It doesn't matter what they can do in the gym at all. Yeah, I think 100%. And I think the higher up in football you go, the less this physical side is needed like the top level it's all like it's it is majority technical rather than physical then you go down to like 
like obviously semi-professional kind of thing that probably you probably do see a bit more of a physical aspect in terms of like more one-to-one challenges sort of thing balls in the air kind of thing because a lot of the time the ball's on the floor now so that kind of fight for yeah. the ball in the air isn't maybe as needed obviously it is still needed 100% like I don't I'm not saying that it's not needed at all but the, the game is completely changing and I think it is going to a, a less I say less physical we talk about physical and football like if you go back to what you said about the old school footballers like if you look at like the likes of like the football hard men like, like Roy Keane he's not exactly a bodybuilder yeah. is he like there's no. a bit like that physical side isn't from actual like obviously your physique it's more getting stuff into the ball slide tackling stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different it's completely different Different it's all down to style of play, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it boils down to. Um, so you get, you know, you might have managers who adapt that kind of style of play. Which you know, mm-hmm. if you have players who prefer fit in that mold, then it makes perfect sense. You know, some players just play different ways. You know, players fit different systems. That's yeah. what it comes down to, really. Um, yeah. the, the actual physical qualities don't really matter too much. Obviously, you want them to be able to be conditioned. I'd say that's probably the most important thing within football. Yeah, um, but if if they can't play football, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, if like yeah, if you can't play football, it doesn't matter how much you can lift in the gym or how big you are. Like that's the the main thing to sport. And if, you, if the stuff you do in the gym doesn't transfer, then it's just a waste of time. Uh, at the end of the day, but uh, well, I'll tell you what. There's one question, like a brief little question that I wanted to ask you before we wrap it up. So, what would you say to someone who is scared of lifting weights especially young lads you hear a lot in football scared of lifting weights because they're either going to get too big too stiff or kind of anything Um, anything negative it's just a misconception um yeah i've never i've never had a a 20 stone forward and rugby come up to us saying he's too scared of getting too big (laughs) um it's i think like i said i think most of the, the stigma comes down to being within football um, I don't know why that is the case to be honest um, I think it's just kind of old kind of terms thrown around by head coaches where they might have heard certain stuff or when back when SNC wasn't a predominant thing within the industry you know essence, like actual proper SNC within like professional sport more so football has only been around for like 15 years so yeah. a lot of the time what was happening was there were Clubs were just hiring personal trainers. Uh-huh. So there wasn't really, you know, well, this, this isn't to say that, but like some, obviously some personal trainers that they would have got would, would have been good. But, you know, I think a lot of the time they are kind of in that position where they're underqualified for the role. Um, but I think that's where, you know, they've, they've kind of put guidelines in place now to kind of make sure they get the appropriate person for it. But going yeah. back to the question, um, you have nothing to worry about. Uh, if you're making sure you're doing the right type of training, like if you're just hammering hypertrophy-based training, then you're not actually going to become faster. You're not going to become uh, more explosive. So you have to make sure you're kind of training all the different kind of physical qualities you need for your sport, um, which, which is where it might come from, to be honest, when I think about it. So, you know, players might just hammer, or in the past might have hammered like bodybuilding style training, and they're thinking, well, I've got bigger, but I haven't really got faster. So in relation yeah. to like body weight, it actually might be slower. So it's, yeah. it's a matter of kind of training different modalities and, you know, making sure you're doing them consistently and being exposed to them. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what it comes down to, I think. 
Yeah, I think I think as well as long as you keep doing that, like you are about the explosive kind of build, your specific movements and your weightlifting. Obviously, as long as your weightlifting is again sports specific, then you shouldn't have a you shouldn't have an issue and don't don't worry about it too much. And I think a lot as well, footballers have that misconception as do women when it comes to weightlifting that they're going to touch a dumbbell and just swell up. It doesn't happen like that. I've been, I've been trying to do that for years and nothing happens. So there's <laughs> nothing wrong with it, anyways. Yeah, I think. What's wrong with being healthy and fit? <laughs> exactly, I know. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong. So, don't be scared of lifting weights if you're a young lad coming up. Get, get a good strength, strength conditioning coach, and then you're sorted. Get in touch with Carl yeah. mate, and he'll sort you out. <laughs> <laughs> so, last three little questions. A little bit, a little bit of fun to finish off. I think you've, you've probably had a little look at these. So, first question is: three people you'd like to invite round for dinner or go for a coffee with. This one actually threw us off a bit, you know. I was thinking, who, who, who would I have round? I kind of thought maybe I'll go, and I'm still trying to think now. Maybe go for athletes who I've kind of always admired, kind of growing up, or who I've enjoyed watching. Um, I think I'm, I'm a bigger like combat sport person, and I really enjoy, I really love boxing, and I really love like martial arts. So for me, I, I always looked up to people like Evander Holyfield and. Um, he, I don't know what it was. I just, I always liked his, uh, his work ethic. You know, he was massively underrated, um, especially compared to the heavyweight at the time when he competed. Uh, and I, I like that kind of underdog mentality with people. I always have. Um, in terms of other athletes, I think Klokov, the weightlifter, would be an exceptional one to come yeah. around because uh, he's just an absolute. He's ridiculous at his sport. He's probably the greatest weightlifter I've ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um, the third person, uh, I think of a footballer, I'd probably go with like Zidane. I think Zidane's probably like the most technical footballer I've ever witnessed. Um, yeah. I think his ability on the ball is just second to none and there's no one who's ever really came close to it. Uh-huh. Oh, I like them three choices. They're different because I've had people in the past that are just like, uh, like you just put the stereotypical on like The Rock or Arnold. Like a lot of people say yeah. that. So I like that one. There's a little bit of thought went into it. So second question is three people you'd want to train with. So it could be rugby, football, or gym. could be anything. I've actually gone with um, S&C coaches with this one because I thought, oh. you know, if I trained them, I'd, I'd get some good coaching off them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like so if that. Any, if anyone's wanting to look into like really, really good S&C coaches, I'll definitely look at these three people. Um, I've gone with Mike Boyle. He's a oh, quality. Yeah, exceptional. Um, Brett Bartholomew, he's another exceptional coach. And um, the third one, I was like, who, who's really had like a, an impact on what I've done? And I think Keir Wyman, he's, he's known as like the rugby strength coach on Instagram. He yeah. puts some really, really good content out there. So if you, I definitely recommend following him on Instagram, but all three of them as well, they really put out really good stuff. Yeah. Um, if you really want to develop your skills, like your soft skills as a coach, Honestly, look look at the Brett Bartholomew's work, especially his conscious coaching book. Because he really he goes in depth about the different kind of cultures and personalities and getting that buy in from the athletes, which I know we touched on before, which is like the most important thing you can do. Yeah. No, I've I've just quickly jot that down after after following them after this. Uh, and then the last thing is uh one thing that you'd say well, what would you say to yourself? Uh if you could see yourself five years ago. I wouldn't say anything because I think you need experiences where you might do things wrong or you might do things right and you need to be able to reflect upon them 
Um, with me, reflection in my own practice is the most important thing. That's what drives progress more than anything. Um, you just need to be exposed to different things. You need to be able to learn from your mistakes or things that you could have done better. So I really wouldn't say anything to myself because constantly learning as it is. Uh-huh. No, spot. I make great advice anyway. So just quickly before we end the podcast, you're not, you're not massive on social media, but where can people follow you in case they, they want to ask you a question or anything like that? Um, where can they find I'm, you? I'm, like I say, I'm not really big on social media, but I'm, if you want to get in touch and kind of ask anything, um, I'm on Instagram. I think it's just callum.fell. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really too sure. I'm honest. I really use it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll double. I'll put it in the show notes anyway. I will tag your Instagram in it in case people so they can just click the link. Um, but yeah, mate, it's been a pleasure. Had, that's been quite a long one, to be fair, but loads of uh, good different different topics to talk about and hopefully people will find it insightful and learn a little bit. So it's a pleasure having you on, mate. Thank you very much. Nice one. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Nice one. Thank you very much if you listened to the full episode of Process and thanks again, Callum, for coming on. I forgot to ask you how you were all doing at the start of the podcast, so I thought I'd just ask you it now. So... I hope everyone is doing well and I hope everyone did enjoy this episode. If you did enjoy this episode of the podcast, remember, give us a little five-star review. Get subscribed for more episodes and also share it on your Instagram story and tag myself, Brendan Pearson Fitness, and also Callum for this episode. So thank you very much again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. This has been Process.